0: Good morning. Good morning. Now we're going to do this again. You act like you're in your living room still. Good morning. Good morning. Oh man, I've been waiting for talk back for weeks now. And so you guys don't hold out on me this morning. So we're glad you're here. And uh, again, thank you. I, I, we kind of in this phasing back in uh, time and, and uh, we've longed for this. So having you in the room is something that's just exciting to me. And this is a second service of the morning. Um, and we're looking for prayerfully in the next couple of weeks, us opening up again, having multiple services each Sunday and um, having uh, the public back in with us. But as, as leaders and, and families of leaders, I thank you for being here and being a part of the phasing in process and uh, in essence being our guinea pigs. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That's not what we're doing here. But uh, we're, we're glad you're here. I'm going to get you to grab your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Acts uh, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're coming back to our series called Unstoppable. Church and uh, we're, we're three weeks into this this is the fourth week and what we discovered so far is is that the church is powerful it's an unstoppable movement and, and the first week we looked at the fact that we're gathered around this statement this declaration that Jesus is the Christ he's the Son of the living God that he died for our sins resurrected for our salvation and through him and him alone can we have salvation and this is what really we gather around this is what brings the church and makes the church Uh, who we are. It's not a building. It's not a location. It's a people who are gathered around that declaration. And then in week two, we discovered that uh, the church is unstoppable uh, because we have a power that is supernatural. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel that we are empowered by the presence of God in the Spirit filling our lives and then we have a message. The scripture says that it is powerful. Paul says this in Romans chapter one verse sixteen. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the what? It's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. So we are unstoppable in our power because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. And then we saw that we are unstoppable when we were a church unified. And what we talked about is that that we as the body of Christ we gather together, worshiping with one another, praying with one. Another, uh, singing together like we've done today, uh, gathering in small groups for the purpose of encouragement toward Christ likeness. And, and we are unified in this endeavor of our pursuit of Christ. And this morning, we are going to talk about uh, the unstoppable church is diverse, is diverse in our makeup. This is God's desire for the church that we would be a diverse. Body of believers. God's agenda has always been not to call a particular type of person, race, or culture, but to call all peoples, all nations, all cultures into a relationship with Him and making us into a spiritual. Family. And, and here's the thing if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see this that God's intention has always been not just to reach Israel or this particular nation or peoples, but rather that through them, all the nations, all the people, all the, 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 the nationalities would come together being redeemed. And really, when you get to the New Testament and the birth of the church, this is where you really begin to see this come to fruition. And this is God's aim, this is God's intention for the church from the very beginning. That God's aim, listen to this, was not uniformity, but rather unity in the midst of diversity. Not uniformity. All of us look alike, talk alike, think alike, act alike, have the same backgrounds and cultures, but rather that we'd be unified in the midst of the vast diversity that we experience in our life. His will was not for us all to look the same or to come from the same places or have the same interests, but rather that there would be uh, personalities and, and outlooks and perspectives that are brought together to give the body of Christ the full picture of who God is. And this is what God's desire is for New Beginnings Baptist Church, that we would be a church that is diverse but unified, that we would become a Covenant community of believers who are made up of people from all walks of life. And so this is what we're going to look at um, today. And so I want to tell you, this is kind of a a preview of, of where I'm going, how I'm going to go about this. This is not going to be your typical turn to a passage and you're going to read a passage. We're going to stay there. We are going to be all over the book of Acts and several other passages of Scripture. And so I want us to kind of approach this from a systematic way because I really want us to do, we're going to kind of do th- three big things, and then I'm going to give some application. at the end. So let me go ahead and tell you where we're going, and then we'll go there. How about that? Everybody do like this? Actually, say, say I'm with you, Pastor. I've, I've, the staff told me I couldn't say that because everybody's online and they don't say that. So now I'm in the room with you. You can say that to me. So I'm going to look at the origin of gospel diversity. I want us to look at the outworking of gospel diversity. And then I want us to see the outcome of gospel diversity. And then we're going to really press into some practical things that we can do to walk in this um, uh, in the future in our own lives and as the church of Jesus. So, uh, Acts chapter 2 is where we'll start. I want to see, first of all, the origin of gospel diversity. Acts chapter 2 is a a, a fascinating passage of scripture. The book of Acts is really the story of the explosion of the church, the growth of the church. So, you have in Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Jesus. But before Jesus ascends, what does He tell the disciples? Hey, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses. But where does He say they're going to be witnesses? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you see at the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry, this commissioning that, hey, this is not about you. It's about us. It's about the collective human race from all parts of the world being brought together. And you as the church, you are going to be the voice of God that calls the nations into relationship with God through the person and work of Christ. So you see the commission, uh, Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two falls on the believers in the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, a fire ignites in their heart and they run out into the streets and they are proclaiming the scripture says the mighty works of God in other words they're proclaiming the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus uh, to the community at large but they're doing so in a very profound and miraculous way they are preaching in unknown tongues to themselves but known to the crowds uh, who are gathered in fact Acts chapter 2 verse 5 listen to what it says there it says now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, listen to this, devout men, next phrase is massive for us, from every nation under heaven. If you read on to verses 9 through 11, uh, you're going to see a list of some of the people groups that were there. And so here's what you have. You have God's timing of the birth of the church. This is what's happening in Acts 2. The birth of the church, but God's timing was this, is that He chose specifically to give birth to the church at a time when the nations were brought to Jerusalem. And so you have these believers running out into the streets and you have people from all parts of the world, different ethnicities, different races, different cultures, different languages, all gathered together. And here's what happens. Miraculously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, these disciples proclaim the gospel, but they do so in the languages of the peoples that are gathered. Now, don't miss this. This is the origin of the church. This is the very beginning of the church and from its conception the church of Jesus Christ was a diverse gathering of people. It says that 3,000 people gave their life to Christ and then it says in verse 42 and they gathered together in homes breaking bread. Who were the people gathered together in the homes breaking the bread? It was the people's that were there, the nations that were there, who heard the gospel in their own tongue, gave their life to Christ, and now become followers of Jesus. So, from the very birth of the church, you see God's intention was for the church of Jesus to be a diverse gathering. Now, don't, don't miss this. I love this. These men and women are brought into the family through confession of Jesus as Lord, but they did so and did not lose their ethnic. Uh, identity or even their linguistic identity. So so think about this. When the gospel is proclaimed to the disciples, God could have just made everybody hear Hebrew language, but that's not what happens. He he doesn't force the Hebrew language on the people from other parts of the world. No, what does He do? He gives the ability to these Hebrew-speaking people to speak other languages. In other words, He brought the nations to the people, didn't make them conform to the Jews. And this is important because here's what you find from, from the very beginning. I've said this before, and we're going we're gonna to continue to pound this through the rest of the sermon. God's intention from the beginning was for the church of Jesus to be a diverse gathering of people. Different nations, different races, different languages brought together. It's, it's interesting how we can get really focused on our ancestry and our, our heritage. I know for my family, uh, we have um, roots in uh, Austria, and, and you can get in the encyclopedias and look at the Connitzes. We were called von Connitzes then, and you can just read all about different characters in history. And I love kind of seeing the roots of, of where our people are from and how we got to the United States and all of that. And And uh, I know many of you, maybe you've done the Ancestry.com thing. We've kind of done research uh, with your own uh, family roots and family tree. But here's the thing. If ancestry.com Com was to do a study on the church, here's what we would discover, that the church of Jesus Christ is the single most diverse family that's ever been on the planet. From the very beginning, God's intention was diversity. Now listen, here, here's what you find. You find diversity, however, it's not yet to where God's running with the diversity. And here's what I mean by this. What you have in Acts chapter 2 is racial diversity, but you don't have cultural diversity. So you get a beginning glimpse of what God is going to do, but it's not there yet. Here's uh, the the, the point that I'll make here. If you go back in chapter 5, there's a phrase there that is very important that we don't miss to see that we get the beginning of what God is doing, but not the full picture. In verse 5, he says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So here's what you have. You have diversity within the body of Christ, but it's still very homogenous. It's still very much people are alike. So you have the nations, but those nations have become Jews. And so while the church is diverse, you don't really have a whole lot of racial tension or strife. Why? Because even though these people from other nations, they had become to practice Jewish traditions and Jewish culture was a part of their life. Therefore, they were embraced with no real racial tension or rub but that's all about to change as we move through the book of Acts. So you see the beginning of it, but now what I want to see is the outworking of gospel diversity. So you see the origin, but it's not yet the full picture. Now we're going to jump in and fast forward to see how God is bringing about the end that He desires. So the outworking of gospel diversity. If you would take your Bibles and go to the right to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 Up until this point, the gospel has been preached primarily to the Jewish audience uh, and to some some Samaritan areas, but it's not yet reached the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 10, this is what happens. So um, Peter, who is, you know, praying in this rooftop, he's, he's having a little quiet time. He goes to this guy's house. He's up in the rooftop and he's spending some time in prayer. And as he's doing this, there's a Gentile named Cornelius. Now it says that Cornelius is a part of what's called the Italian cohort. And I don't know what that is, but it sounds really cool. Like he's a special agent for the Roman government. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a really great title. Um, and so he's, he is a Gentile in another region and simultaneously something happens. Peter is up in a room praying. Um, Cornelius is at his house and the angel of the Lord shows up in the Gentiles home and he says to him, listen, God has heard your prayers. And right now, there is a man named Peter, and this is before the days of GPS. God gave him the coordinates to the home. He says, this is where you're going to find him. Go there, knock on the door and say, the Lord has sent an angel the Lord for us to get you. I want you to come with us to my house. And so Cornelius is like, okay, the angel told me. So he sends his people. But as the people are on their way, Peter kind of falls into this trance and has this vision. And this vision, this sheet is lowered from heaven. And on this sheet, and Peter, I think, is getting hungry. He's wanting a snack. And all of a sudden, there's all this food. It was like a Luby's buffet, but it was all Gentile-type food. It was all these these, these animals and this, this food that would be considered unclean. No respectable Jew would ever eat the diet of a Gentile. This was one of the distinctions that kept the people separated. And what you're going to find in this moment, some of the, the, the barriers that kept Jews and Gentiles apart from one another is going to show up in Peter's life, and God is going to confront the, the racist tendencies in Peter's heart, and he's going to confront the fact that while the, the nations have embraced that there's still cultural diversity that still has not yet Yet come into effect. Now here's what happens in verse number 13. And there came a voice to him from Peter, to Peter saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is the bumper sticker for every deer hunter in Texas. Rise, kill and eat. In verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, a so lot's happening in this passage. Peter sees this, this diet. The, 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 the sheet falls from heaven, all of this your food, and Peter's like, nope, I'm not doing it. Now, this is only Peter can do this. He's the only guy that ever argues with Jesus in the scriptures. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is like, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I want to die. No, you're not. And then Peter now is sitting there, he's wanting a snack. God says, Okay, take and eat. And he's like, I'm not eating that, Jesus. That's nasty, that's unclean food. And what Jesus was exposing in Peter's life is that he's missing the greater picture of what Jesus has accomplished. Peter's like, no, 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 I'm not eating what is unclean because here's what no respectable Jew would have ever done. Listen, he would have never not only eaten the unclean food, but he would never have eaten the unclean food with the unclean people who made the food. So you see this rift here of two people's cultures colliding who would have nothing to do with one another. And Peter's like, I'm not having any of it. And he's pushing away. And I love God's response in verse number 15. And a voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Something begins to happen here in the heart of Peter and in the life of of the church, Acts chapter ten is a defining moment in the history of the church of Jesus. What God is saying to Peter in this is that you have called this unclean, and I'm calling it clean. You have, and then it's even going to go reach beyond this. You have called a certain group of people unclean, and I'm telling you and me they are made clean. And you need to stop this distinction that's been going on because I'm breaking through all of these tensions that have kept the two people apart for all of these years. Now, here's what happens. Peter then goes to Cornelius' his house with those friends. Now, don't miss this. This is kind of a, a picture that I think we miss when we read the text. Sometimes we read the Bible and we don't read it like real life. Like, so Peter is saying, I'm having a hard time here because there's all these foods that we thought were unclean. Now God's telling me to eat them. And there are these people that I would never be around, and now I'm having to go to their house. What in the world is going on? So think about all of this, this heritage of of, of, of being separate, this heritage of bigotry, this heritage of racism. And now here he is, a Jewish boy going to a Gentile's house, and he really knows this is not really the way in which Jews live. So don't miss this. There's, There's a racist, tense moment. In Acts chapter 10. And you'll see it in a moment. He walks into the house and Peter, his opening line is fascinating to me. Listen to what he says here. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you. Right? You, you, you know how unlawful it is for my people to interact with your people, to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or clean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked them, why have you sent for me? Now look up here for a moment. Don't miss the tension in the room. Because we talk about Jews and Gentiles. We're like, oh, yeah, they didn't like each other. No, 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 no. You will not find in history a greater hostility and hatred between any two groups of people than you would have between Jews and Gentiles. So just think about it in a moment. I'm going to make you feel real uncomfortable here. Just think about 1940s, 1950s. You walk into a house as a white person or you walk into the house as a black person to a person of the opposite race. You walk into the house and you go, hey, I don't know why I'm here because it's against the law for my people to hang out with your people. I don't know why I'm here. You guys have been unclean in my mind all this time. And now all of a sudden there's this new thing that's going on. I'm not even sure why I'm here. Now think about how tense that would be, Right? This is what's happening in the moment. Peter is walking in and he's acknowledging there is a difference between us and that difference has kept us miles apart. We Jews have nothing to do with you type of people. You have nothing to do with us. I don't even know why I'm here, but God has brought me here. So God is up to something. I love this is that, listen to me. Anytime a church or anytime an individual is trying to move out of certain tendencies that we have sinfully in our heart to keep others at arm's length because of their race or their ethnicity or their culture. Listen, there is going to be an awkwardness about that and there are going to be tense moments and uncomfortable moments that we have to press into and push through if we're going to see Jesus do in us what he wants to do in us. Are you with me? Say amen. And this is what you find in Peter's life. So Peter walks into this room He's like, hey, my people don't have anything to do with your people, but God sent me here. So God is up to something and I want to be all in with it. So Peter begins to preach the gospel. He begins to talk about what Jesus has done. And in the middle of his sermon, I love this, and I'm praying one day this happens to me. It hasn't happened yet. Before he can even get to the invitation, man, the Holy Spirit falls and revival breaks out and there are people weeping and broken and coming to faith in Christ. This is what happens in Peter's message here. Look what happens in verse 44. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out listen to this don't miss the language even on the Gentiles do you hear the r- r- racist tendencies here like so Peter's preaching proclaiming the gospel the Holy Spirit falls check this out on the Gentiles In Acts chapter 10, in the same way, he fell on the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And guess what? The Gentiles didn't have to become Jews in order to get the gift of grace, of salvation, or the gift of the Holy Spirit. And their minds are blown. Even the Gentiles, they get the salvation that we got and the Holy Spirit that we got, and they didn't have to become like us to be one of us. So here's what you find the outworking of gospel diversity. See Acts chapter 2 you see ethnic diversity. But everybody were like they became like the Jews and that's where they fit in. Acts chapter 10 God is working it out. Now listen, he's showing us listen, you you don't have to lose your cultural distinction. You don't have to lose your tradition perspective or identity to enter into the body of Christ. And these Jews, they're blown because he's like, listen, first of all, they received salvation and they received the Holy Spirit, but they did so without becoming Jewish first. So they were able to keep their cultural distinction and yet become fellow heirs to the inheritance that is ours in Jesus. And this is powerful. This is amazing. And everybody in the room are like, what is happening? Verse 46, For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? This was Peter's way of saying, Listen, they're one of us even though they're not like us. Their identity of declaring Christ as Lord through baptism, Peter says, Welcome to the family. We are now one even though we are different. Different ethnically and different culturally. This is powerful. And he commanded them to be baptized and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what you find. You find the outworking. Now, we're not there yet. So some of you are like, man, were we there? No, we're not there yet. It's actually going to get much worse before it gets much better, which is anytime you're trying to break through deep-rooted sin, it always gets worse before it gets better because we want to fight against what the Spirit is doing. So here's what happens in the story. This revival breaks out Cornelius' home. Chapter 11, man, the bigots come out of the woodwork. Like they're hearing about all of these Gentiles come to faith in Christ and they ain't having it. Look what happens in verse number 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So again, you can see this like, the Gentiles, are you sure? Like, yes, the Gentiles. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, don't miss this next statement, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Do you hear the racist Statement. So this is the when they says the uncircumcised party in your mind, just say redneck, right? And so here he is back in Jerusalem, celebrating what God has done, blowing their mind, breaking down the barriers that for hundreds of years have kept these two peoples apart. That now, even though they are ethnically and culturally diverse, we are brought into one family in Christ. And the rednecks show up and said, "You ate with who? You hang? Where? You hung where? Who do you think you are? You're crossing." You're crossing the line you you mean to tell me you didn't make them get circumcised and follow the mosaic laws and and lose their culture identity embrace our culture you didn't make them like us in order to embrace them as one of us who do you think you are peter and this is a very tense moment you can tell a tense moment let me tell you why if you read the rest of the, the next big chunk of chapter 11 it's going to sound almost verbatim like chapter 10 why because peter's getting called on the carpet and he gives every little detail. I was in the room and then I heard this and Cornelius heard this and then he sent the guys and then I knocked on the door and I got in the chair and I went with them and I walked in the house and this is what I said. This is what the spirit did. And he's going through every little detail because this is groundbreaking for everyone hearing it. The church of Jesus Christ will never be the same again. By the way, listen, by the way, in the room, we're a bunch of Gentiles. So if you don't know the significance of Acts chapter 10 and in a minute Acts chapter 15, we would not be in the room if it wasn't for this story with Cornelius. So Peter tells the story, verse number 17. If then, Peter is going to apply this, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to stand in God's way? Don't miss this. Peter looks at the guys and says, this is what God did. And he goes through all the details and he says, listen, and if God gave them the same gift of God's grace of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the same way that he gave it to us. In other words, if God embraced them where they were, if they became one of us without becoming uh, uh, like us and God embraced them, then who am I to stand in the way of God? Listen to me. Any person, who wants to get in the way of a church moving to become a racially and culturally diverse body of believers is not getting in the way of the pastors and elders and leaders. They're getting in God's way. God's desire has always been culturally, racially, ethnically diverse brought into one family. And Peter says, I ain't getting in God's way. You want to get in God's way? That's between you and God. Who is I to withhold and to keep them out if God is saying, come on in? And this is what Peter does, and I love this. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. This is just blowing their mind. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, some of you are like, okay, are we there yet? Not yet. There's still some outworking that has to happen and we see it. So what happens next is this. There's a massive revival in Antioch. Chapter 13 and chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are sent on the first missionary journey. So now there is this all-out explosion of Gentile converts. So now there's this, this massive revival happening among peoples who were not Jews. And Peter, I'm sorry, and Paul and Barnabas are preaching. People are coming to faith in Christ. They're being embraced into the church, and yet they don't lose their cultural identity and become Jews. Rather, in their identity, they embrace Christ and become brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the bigots really come out of the woodwork. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. Now, don't miss this. So now you've got these rednecks that have come in, going into Gentile territory, and it specifically says they were teaching to the brothers. In other words, they were going to the believing Gentiles who did not lose their cultural or ethnic identity to become followers of Christ. And they're saying to them, if you really want to be a part of us, you've got to become like us. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to stop your way of eating, start eating our way. You must adopt not just our Jesus. You must adopt our culture. And if you want to be in, you've got to do what we do and do it how we do it. And I love the next phrase. This is beautiful. Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. I love that. This is an all-out church fight. They had no small dissension. In other words, Paul says, I'm not having that. Barnabas says, I'm not having that. No, no, no. These brothers and sisters have come to faith in Christ. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit, baptized in his name. They are in the family. They do not have to become like us to be a part of us because God is the one that made him a part of us, and you're not going to put this burden on them. And Paul and Barnabas go toe-to-toe. And then it says this, that Paul says, we're going to settle this once and for all. Verse number 15. I'm sorry, verse number 15. Number two, thank you. And after Paul and and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas had some others who were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, here's what we have here. Everybody look up at me for a moment. Acts chapter 15 is historically one of the most significant events in church history. It's known as the Jerusalem Council. We are in this room today because of this meeting that we're looking at. I'm not going to read the the, the account. I'm just going to tell you what happens. We're in this room today because of this. Rednecks show up. You got to become like us to become one of us. Paul says, we're not having it. Let's get the boys together. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's have this thing out with the apostles. Let's figure out what's really going on here. So they come together and it says a group from the circumcised party from the Pharisees come in um, and they said, no, 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 no. These, These Gentiles must become Jewish if they're going to become Christian. If they're going to be part of the family, they're going to lose their culture identity and become just like us. They need to worship like us, approach God like us, eat like us, pray like us, think like us, become like us if they're going to be one of us. So what you see is this climatic moment of, of tension. It's all good when Gentiles can come in, but they can play our music, sing our songs, do our deal, eat our food, all of those things. But we don't dare bring your culture into what we've got going on. You, you feel what's happening here? So the apostles get in the room, and Peter, James, Paul, and Barnabas, man, they throw down. And they they go through what God has done, and they walk through the Scriptures, and there is this declaration made in that moment that Gentiles are in, and they can keep their cultural identity and be in that we are a family. What brings us together goes far beyond heritage, goes far beyond culture, goes far beyond any differences. And what what makes us the the, the body of Christ is not our culture identity, but our identity in Jesus. Therefore, we are one family and we are not going to impose expectation that a person loses who they are to be embraced as a part of the family. And I love what Peter says. Peter says, are you guys kidding me? You're saying they should follow the Mosaic law. They should be circumcised, follow all the traditions that we have put out and he's like man we couldn't even do it If for by grace we are saved through faith and this is not of our own works but it's a gift of God and and not of our own doing so that we can't boast about it he says listen and I'll quote that verse maybe in my head better next time he says if that's how we're saved then why in the world would you put expectations on someone else that we couldn't live up to if it's Jesus it's Jesus And they added no expectation. Here's what you have. You have the outworking of gospel diversity so the body of Christ is both ethnically diverse and culturally diverse. This is the rub in the American church. The American church historically has been segregated. Let me tell you why they've been segregated. Because of racism. Bottom line, from the earliest days of American history, there was racial division. There was the mistreatment and oppression of people of different ethnicities and colors. It's not a pretty part of our history, but it's a part of our history. And so traditions began to form, which kept people from gathering together as God intended, but rather white churches, black churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, rather than the churches reflecting the community that they were in, you begin to see homogenous groups of people. And so now what we have in our culture is the lack of diversity. We have diversity on sports teams and in schools. We, we, we listen, we are segregated on Sundays. Why? Because of the tradition. Now, here's what we've done. We've made some progress, and here's what we've said. Listen, we don't mind people of other ethnicities coming in, but they need to adopt our culture. They need to sing our music, worship our way, think like we think, have the same perspective that we have. We don't mind people of color. We don't mind there being a variety of ethnicities in the room But they got to play by our rules. And what you lose and forfeit is God's intention, which is not just ethnically diverse gatherings, but culturally diverse gatherings. And you miss the beauty of the gospel. There's a picture I took yesterday. It was a bad picture, but it's one of my favorite plants. My my wife during COVID-19 has become like this gardener. And so we're at Lowe's all the time buying plants. I love it. It's, they're beautiful. But they, we bought, this is my favorite one. It's a bad picture, but it's my favorite one. When you pull up in our driveway, you notice this because it's popping with color. And this is not even, this, this doesn't do it justice to all of the detail colors. I mean, even with the same color family, there's shades that are different. And the, the, the green leaves are popping. And there's just, so when you kind of pull up from a distance, you see just this explosion. The reason it's my favorite is because you see this explosion of color. But the real reason it's my favorite is when you get closer to the plant, you'll recognize that it's not just the same flower that are different colors. But there's a variety of colors in the same flowers, and there are different types of flowers, different textures of plants, different types of leaves that are all put together. And the true beauty of that piece, that plant, that pot, is 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 seen when you get up in close and personal and you recognize, man, it's not just the color, but it's the texture. And what you see, when I look at that, I think, man, God is creative. Like, God created. And you put all of this together that's different and different, not just in color, but in texture and size and and, and, and it's, it's type, and you put it together, and you see something beautiful, and you just marvel and go, man, God is unbelievable. And listen, you don't get that response if it's just one single flower by itself. But it's the diversity that brings the beauty. You see, the church of Jesus Christ, we need to understand, it's not just beauty in diversity of color or ethnicity but it's the type and the texture, it's the culture, it's the personality, it's the expression of worship, it's the perspective in life that when we're brought together under the banner of Jesus with those cultural ethnic identities still being attached to who we are, it doesn't. it's not the dominant of who we are, because Christ is, but it is still who we are. We get a beautiful picture of who God is and what His church is like and what He's able to accomplish on the planet. The other thing it gives us is the beautiful picture of the Imago Day. If we are created in the image of God, that means that humanity was meant to display a part of God's character and his nature. And if we only live in homogenous relationships where people are just like us, look like us, think like us, then we miss a fuller picture of the Imago day. But it, it, there's, a, there's beauty in diversity that when people of different ethnicities and uh, cultures come together, there's a fuller picture of who God is and what He is like. And for many of us, we spend our whole life so tied to homogenous relationships that we've missed a big part of God and who He has made us to be and ultimately who He is. And you see them breaking into this, the outworking of this gospel diversity. Paul summarizes that part of it. I know this is a longer point, but this is important. Ephesians chapter 2, you have to turn there, I'll just read it. Paul is going to state in theological terms what was decided upon in Acts chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says about this racial divide that now has been destroyed in Christ, brought together. Verse 13, Ephesians 2. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, don't miss this, might create in himself one new man in place of two. In other words, God's Agenda was to take the races and put us together in the family of God in the church of Jesus to make one new race of people and that is the Christian race. Followers of Jesus and this race is made up of different ethnicities and different cultures but we are one spiritual family. This is what he says. He says, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What hostility? The racial hostility. Let me tell you something. There's only one solution to racism in America, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything we do legislatively, which is important, anything we do socially, which is important, that is detached from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is superficial at best, and it won't last at worst. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. When he says he tore down the wall of hostility, this was the cultural differences. This is you eat this, we eat this. This is your music, this is our music. He says he, he tore down this barrier. And let me tell you something. When we build the barrier up of this is what white people do and this is what black people do and this is what Asian people do and this is how we are and let's just kind of have our little neighborhoods, have our little worship gatherings and keep separate. Listen, we are building a wall that Jesus died to t- tear down. And shame on us if we will, with our life, rebuild something that Jesus died to destroy. This is the outworking. This is the outworking. A gospel diversity. Diversity of ethnicities. Diversity of culture. Let me show you the outcome. The outcome is found in Revelation 7. John is having this vision of, When all things are made due and all the peoples are gathered together, and John gets this glimpse of heaven, he gets this glimpse of what's waiting for us, what's coming our way. Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now listen to the description he gives. This is him getting a glimpse into what's waiting for you and me. Listen to his description. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages don't miss this what John sees in heaven the outcome of gospel diversity is this is that heaven is going to be made up not of one ethnic group or one culture or one language but it will be the peoples and the cultures and the languages did you see what he says here they were he describes it like this they were all nations right that's races right and then all tribes, that's cultures. You do realize that, right? Like within each race, there's different cultures. Like just if you, whatever color you are, if you go up north out of the south, you're going to find that people that look like you aren't like you because they have different culture than you. Like I come from Arkansas, right? Y'all are just different in Texas. I just can tell you. So there's subculture. So here's what John is saying. In heaven, there's going to be the nations, and then there's going to be the cultures, there's going to be the tribes and the peoples, and even this, and the languages. Listen, in heaven, we will not lose our ethnic identity. We will not lose our our cultural identity. We will not even lose our linguistic identity, but we will be brought together as one family around the throne of God, diverse, but unified, a variety of different expressions and looks and languages, but one people gathered. Around the throne of God, and this is what he says. And we were standing together before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in our hands, crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God and the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How incredible is that? All nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages gathered around, and we're singing, and there's one song we're singing in our own expression, in our own language. As one people, no segregation, no your people, my people, your worship, my worship. We are all together. Now, I don't know about you, but if this is where God is moving, that's where I want to move today. If this is what heaven's going to look like, what would it be like for New Beginnings Baptist Church each week to be just a little taste of heaven? You know what that means? It means that we're not always going to sing music that I like. But I'll learn to love it. We're not going to express worship the same. But, man, there's going to be value in it. There's going to be moments where that was awkward. That was different. But, man, then we get to see, okay, but this is, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. We are diverse. We are different. But we are one. You know, this is the outcome of gospel diversity. This must be the pursuit today for New Beginnings Baptist Church. See, how do we do that? Let me give you a couple of things. And then very quickly here. I want to show you. It's important that I illustrate it with this passage of Scripture. because I don't want it to be just my talking points. In Galatians chapter 2, I'm not going to turn them. I'm just going to tell you the story. There's a, there's a moment that's very awkward. It's, it's, it's well after the Jerusalem Council. The Apostle Peter is there with the people. I don't know the full story of all the circumstances, but what we know of is, is that Peter is sitting there with his Gentile brothers and sisters. Man, they're probably eating a ham sandwich or a hot dog or something like that. And Peter's like, I've been missing this my whole life. Bring some pork chops over here. This is good stuff. And he's eating and he's, he's enjoying fellowship. He's sitting at the table and the beauty of diversity is there. Then all of a sudden, those redneck people that can be harassing Peter shows up. His Jewish brothers show up who won't have anything to do with the Gentiles because the gospel Hasn't worked in that part of their heart. What does Peter do? It says Peter pushed away from the table. This is the apostle Peter. Pushed away from the table. And he withdrew from fellowship with the Gentiles. Put away their food. Began to eat his people's food. And it says when Peter did this, the other Jews who were with Peter, who looked up to Peter, followed Peter's lead. And even Barnabas, who was one of the advocates in Acts chapter 15, left the table. Which which simply means to say this, listen, none of us live in isolation. Your decisions to walk in your sinful tendencies will impact those around you. And fathers, listen to me, you are raising and shaping the way that your kids see people in the way that you treat them, in the way that you see them. Peter pulls away, and I love this, Paul walks in and Paul is not having it. He busts into the party, and he literally, Paul, Paul was like, Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and the Gentiles, they're hurt over here because Peter left them. He says, this is your brothers and sisters. You were eating a ham sandwich a second ago. And then these cats show up, and all of a sudden, you're going to withdraw? You're going to push away from the table? We are one in Christ, and Paul begins to just wear Peter out. You have no business behaving like this. And then he says this, what you are doing is inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus. Listen to me. This is the way I was raised, doesn't cut it. You don't know my experiences, doesn't cut it. Anything in our heart that has racist or tendencies toward bigotry that we allow to live in our heart, you are living and acting in a way that's inconsistent with the gospel. So let me give you a couple of things to write down. It's very short. Write them down, please. Number one, how do we get there? The First is you got to be honest about your own tendencies and the dark parts of your heart that you've not really come to grips with. So I don't have any. Then you're greater than Apostle Peter. Led the first Gentile to Christ, and he's pushing away from the table when the Jews come up and give a little pressure. All of us, I think if we're honest, we would have tendencies in our heart for whatever reason. That lean toward homogeny, or at worst, that really wanna push back because of some sort of rooted bitterness or ideology that's ungodly and unbiblical. We gotta be honest. Peter, Peter wasn't honest. We need to be honest. Number two, we need to stay at the table, intentionally get to the table and build relationships with people of different ethnicities and different cultures, like intentionally. Paul rebuked Peter, said, what are you doing pushing away from the table? What was the table? It was the place of fellowship. This is where family gathered. What are you doing pushing back from the table? Lean into the table. We gotta be intentional. You say, man, it feels like it's a forced relationship. Man, in every area of our life, we have forced relationships. Your kids ever tried out for a baseball team or a basketball team? Kids ever done club volleyball? bunch of people you don't know, and all of a sudden you're like, man, we're going to get over the awkwardness of the fact that we don't know each other. We're going to be intentional about this. We don't push away. If you ever taken a new job? You don't say, well, I don't know anybody there. I'm not going to, this feels awkward. No, no, you say, well, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn who people are and find out what they're like and get to know them over lunch. Listen, intentionally pressing into relationships is awkward, and sometimes it feels uncomfortable and even feels forced. But listen, it is needed if we want to grow spiritually, if we want the body of Christ to be seen for what it's supposed to be. Be intentional. Number number three. Number three. We have to let people speak into our lives and call out our blind spots. we got to give people permission. Paul walks over to the table, points his finger. He doesn't pull Peter away privately. Why? Peter sinned privately. Now, Peter didn't sin privately. It was publicly. Paul pulls, says to him in front of everybody, you're living in sin and what you're doing is wrong. Peter needed that. I need that. You need that. People to look at us and say, man, that's not, that's not cool. What you said over there, that's not right. Hey, listen, well, I know that you think when you say that it's funny, but from my culture and my ethnicity, man, that's offensive and it's hurtful. How do you know unless you intentionally lean in and then you give permission? And then when you did get, get rebuked by someone, your answer is not, well, I didn't know. Even if you didn't know, you know is your answer? Man, I'm sorry. Help me understand. Tell me what to do different. Be teachable when they speak in. I'm telling you this, as a pastor, and I'm way over my time, but I don't care. When are you gonna leave? I've been waiting eight weeks to get here. As a pastor who has a heart for this, there, there have been seasons of my life where. I've, I've only allowed the sensationalism of events and culture snap me out of my complacency that this is not an issue. Does that make sense? And so we need to be a people, and I need to be a pastor and a follower of Jesus, not just a pastor, who is aware and who is intentional? And I need people around me. And I know my tendency is because the Lord is doing a work in my heart just like He's doing it. It, it, My tendency is just to let my shoulders down and kind of ignore the things that are around me that's going on and that because I'm so immersed into my culture that I'm not really aware until there's something big that happens. And so I'm just confessing to you as your pastor, those three things, honesty, intentionality, in openness, I need those things. You need those things. Right? What's the next phrase you think I'd say? We need those things. And I'm praying the Lord does this work. I love our country. I love a lot of our traditions. But there's a lot of what we've done I hate. And I pray that God would use me in this church. To let the gospel do a work. And it won't erase past, but it can create a great future. Father, we love you. I thank you. And I pray now that through your spirit, let your church be who you've created this to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church.